Welcome to Watching Watchmen, a Lost Boys podcast with me, Jack, and me, Jacob. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Watching Watchmen with me, Jack Shepard, and with no Jacob Stolworthy. Instead, I'm joined this week by Camberley Campbell. <laughs> it's me, not Jacob. Now, Camberley's a writer for Polygon and Birth Movies Death, and you're joining us for episode seven next week, which I believe you've seen. Uh, I kind of have. <laughs> yeah? Is it is it good? Go on, give us a teaser. It's fine. No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get on to episode seven, we have this episode to go on with, which is my interview with Damon Lindelof about episode six, which included that huge hooded justice reveal. Now, me and Damon spoke over the phone, so the connection wasn't particularly good, and I've had to re-record most of what I've said. And there was also lag between the phone lines. So please forgive any discrepancies. I've tried to record myself verbatim from what I've said, which was a very weird experience. But yes, here is my interview with Damon Lindelof about that big Hood of Justice reveal. Hey, Jack, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm well. Can you hear me okay? I can. So I just want to say thank you very much for taking time to speak to me today. It's very much appreciated. I should start by saying uh, that my name is Jack Shepard. So thank you for naming a character after me. Do you spell it the same way? No, I don't. It's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D, my way. Oh, you have the H, yes. I have a story about my name to do with Lost. But first I want to talk about your show, Watchmen. Now, episode six was a huge one. And we finally learned that Will Reeves is Hooded Justice. Which idea came first, to create a character who had become Hooded Justice, or did you have the idea of Will Reeves and that kind of fitted into that plan? That's a great question, and it's, you know, I want to give you the most honest answer that I can because, A, memory is subjective, and B, ideas don't happen in chronological order. They, um, pieces of them sort of come. The, The first part is that, since Watchmen, since the original 12 issues were, were published in 1986 and into 87, I have long been fixated on hooded justice, um, largely because it, how familiar are you with the original issues? I'm relatively familiar. So in, in the first couple of issues, at the end of the, the comic, there are excerpts from Hollis Mason's autobiography. He was the original Night Owl, and he starts to kind of relay the history of the Minutemen, um, starting with the uh, initial appearance of, of Hooded Justice. And um, and he makes a big point in his autobiography of saying that Hooded Justice's identity was shrouded in mystery and was never revealed. All the other Minutemen, um, he was on a first-name basis with and knew that, you know, Silhouette was Ursula Van Zandt, and, and the comedian was Eddie Blake, and you know, and Captain Metropolis was was Nelson Gardner. But he never knew Hooded Justice's identity, and so my father and I, we we became completely and totally convinced that Hooded Justice must be in some way responsible for the comedian's death. Um, that 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 the fact that we never knew his identity was going to pay off in the original Watchmen. And so any clue that was Hooded Justice related, we sort of fixated on. And then we came to the end of Watchmen, and it turned out that Hooded Justice was, for all intents and purposes, a red herring, um, and a very effective one at that, because I loved the way that, you know, the original Watchmen resolved. And so we were we were so focused on Hooded Justice, we were ignoring what was right in front of our face, which was Adrian Bight. So... So the first thing is that I've had for, for, for 30 years now just been wondering 
who was Hooded Justice. And although the, the comic suggests that he may have been this circus strongman named Ralph Mueller, that always seemed to be a fairly shaky premise to me. And so when Watchmen was offered to me for the third time and I was doing a lot of reading um, and focus a lot of my thought process on, you know, the camouflaged history of America as it related to the injustices carried out against people of color. So I was reading all this Ta-Nehisi Coates. I had just learned about the massacre of, of 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then they asked me about Watchmen. That idea of who was Hooded Justice slipped into what I was thinking about in terms of race in America, and it finally answered the question that I had been wondering about, at least in my head, which is, why would Hooded Justice never reveal himself? If, every, if, if it was no big deal what your secret identity was, why did this? Why do we not know what it was? And I felt like maybe the answer is because he was a black man. Um, and if you were a black man putting on a costume and fighting crime in, in, the, in the 30s and 40s in America, that would not be acceptable. You, you would be treated entirely differently than if you were a white man. So he had to hide his race. And that all kind of, that was the inciting idea that I came in and pitched to HBO when I told them this is what I want to do with Watchmen. So that, you know, that that's how it kind of came together. It's amazing because it feels like it was meant to be. Like there's the hood and the rope around his neck and all the stories in Under the Hood that have kind of fed into this as well. It must be quite strange to be reinventing these characters you've loved for so long because they're part of the zeitgeist in some ways perhaps not as big as the Marvel and DC characters, but they're still huge characters. What's it like creating a new history for these characters that you love? It's simultaneously the most exhilarating thing in the world and also the most terrifying because <laughs> it's exhilarating in the sense of, I, I suspect if you're anything like me, when you were a little kid, you played with action figures or you made up stories for all of the characters that you loved in the movies and TV shows and comic books that you watched. And, you know, and and that's what you did. That's, you know, we, we build on pre-existing myths. It's very hard to come up with original ideas. And so the idea, that, so it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, the idea of like writing dialogue for Adrian Veidt is, you know, the thrill of a lifetime. At the same time, for reasons that are very obvious, but I'll state them anyway, because Mr. Moore does not want his characters to be played with um, and he's very explicit about that um, you know that's the terrifying part where it's sort of like I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to do I'm doing something that's against the wishes of someone that I have more creative respect for than most people on the planet and I think what you said is um, I'm, I'm profoundly touched by the fact that, you know, I feel like he left that door open for someone to come through and say, what if, what if this is what Hooded Justice was? But I have no doubt that if someone said to Alan Moore, you know, they made, they on the TV show, they made Hooded Justice into a black man, that he would, you know, he would, he would not like that idea. Not because he's judging the idea on its own merits, but because he doesn't want those characters touched at all. Mm. He told a complete story, so it's 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 you know it's a struggle, um, and uh, and I know that it feels disingenuous for me to say that I'm emotionally affected by it um, because I did it anyway. But um, 
but that's the truth. Something else amazing about what you've done here is that you framed Will Reeves to be a sort of modern Superman. You see action comics in the episode and all these kind of references. Was that what you were aiming for? Did you want people to draw parallels between Hooded Justice and Superman? And then where did that idea come from? When did that come to the forefront of your mind? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that the original Watchmen was <clears throat> was a love letter to, to um, comics, comic storytelling and myth. You know, Superman is just a repurposed version of the Moses story from the Old Testament, um, as Siegel and Schuster would say. And so... And I think that the idea of saying, like, well, instead of doing Superman for the 15th time, um, you know, what what would ha- what, what does Krypton look like if if it's if it's entirely populated by African Americans, and um, and and how would that story go? What what would it be like if Superman was black? Um, that's an interesting story in and of itself, and I'm not the first storyteller to think of an idea like that. Um, but then instead of doing Superman let's say like, oh, there actually was a real Krypton in the middle of Oklahoma in 1921 in America. There was this place of of African-American exceptionalism that was completely and totally thriving, and then it was destroyed, just like Krypton was. And so is there a way for us to tell the story of a a sole survivor, a child, uh, basically being, you know, uh, hustled out, out of there by his parents, um, and then grows up to become a great hero. Um, but we can make it an American myth because that's what makes it watch. You know, you ground it in reality. You show the, you know, you show the political and cultural realities and the underbelly of America in the process. Um, that's how you basically approach the storytelling. And then, and then you, you create confusion around what's actual history and what's alternate history. Um, and that, those, that's the bar we were attempting to clear. Um, it was very, very high. And sometimes I think we got close to it. We'll see, we'll see where we end up. You were on Instagram before this that you were trying to remix Watchmen. You said this wasn't quite a sequel, but we, you know, we kind of know it is a sequel. But also, these stories feel like they—they are Watchmen. You know, you have Lady True, who's this kind of like Ozymandias type character, or at least those are the vibes she's giving or was giving. And then you have the Ozymandias story itself, which is like the Black Freighter, which feels like a completely different side of things, which is very much something that happened in the comic books. It's this weird mix of old Watchmen and new Watchmen. Was that what that comment meant by a remix? Yes, and, you know, look, I I think the usage of the... I think that we should probably start acknowledging that to say that this television series is not a sequel is not accurate. But to say that it's just a sequel is also not accurate to me. Um, and, and in fact, I think that it was important to, to do almost two full episodes of the show that didn't really necessarily... <laughs> there are literally... This is what's amazing, Jack, is that there are people out there saying, I don't even know why you're calling this thing Watchmen. You know? <laughs> like, wh- why... And then there are other people who are saying, it's obviously a sequel. Why aren't you just admitting it? And I was like, 
these two things seem to be in direct conflict with one another. Like, how can one person think it's a sequel and then I'm being cute about calling it a remix and someone else is saying it shouldn't even be called Watchmen? So I think that that's where the remix space exists, where essentially we are literally sampling old tracks and we're putting them in new songs. And so... You know that's what a remix. That's what a remix is, and um, you know I think that's what Alan Moore did on Swamp Thing. You know, which is probably you know, in in my opinion, it's right up there with with Miracle Man. He did it with Miracle Man, um, Marvel Man to you Brits. Uh, he did it with Supreme. Uh, you know, he he comes in and he does remixes on 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 established myth, and so he subverts. The, the origin story uh, without um, without violating canon. That is that is quite a trick. I really love what you've done here. I think it's just so fun to watch. And and I also do a podcast about your other show, Lost, where I'm watching it for the first time as a guy called Jack Shepard. And then the person who I'm doing it with is called Jacob, and he's watched it for the eighth time. Oh my god! It's quite funny because we've just watched the season three finale, and it's slightly blown my mind a little. Anyway, Jacob spoke to Regina King earlier this year about Watchmen, and she mentioned how this show is very much about legacy. And with the KKK in this episode, it feels like that's Judd's legacy. You have Will Reeves and the legacy of trauma that's going through here. What is it that has compelled you to tackle legacy in such a way? What does that subject mean to you? Well, again, you know, I, I think that the jumping-off point for the show had to be what is the original Watchmen and how do we capture that energy and try to come up with something new but in service of, of, of the old. And I think that the original Watchmen is very much about legacy. Every single character, um, particularly Lori, uh, whose mother was in the Minutemen, and, and it turns out as was her father, or Dan, who, you know, modeled himself after the original Night Owl. But I think that the idea that these characters in the present are very much tied and anchored and tethered to the past, and that they inherit the trauma um, and the pain of their parents and grandparents. I think that's a very powerful idea that independent. Most of us do not dress up in costumes and in, in attempt to fight crime, but everyone can identify with this idea of my grandparents had a very hard life, and I've inherited um, uh, a, a lot of that. Not just from hearing their stories, but there's just something about the journey the miraculous thermodynamic miracle that wrote, that ended in Jack Shepard. You know, the people who <laughs> had to go through trials and tribulations and survival to get to you. Um, and so all of those ideas felt incredibly powerful and relatable and cinematic and most importantly emotional. Um, and then when you and when you specify, when you get into the specifics of, of the African American experience in the United States, um, that legacy is is um, that inherited trauma is is much more intense um, than it is for many others in this country, and I, I don't think it's dramatized nearly enough in, inside of genre storytelling. And so that's what we were going for here. 
I agree and I think you've done such an amazing job and thank you so much for talking to me it's been a real pleasure thanks Jack I appreciate it I hope you like the way Lost ends (laughs) I've heard mixed dish things but I'm looking forward to getting there if you ever fancy talking about it on a on a podcast then then maybe give us a ring deal once I'll tell you what, why don't you reach out after you've seen the finale and we'll, uh, we'll have a chat. That's uh, 100% a deal. Thank you so much, Damon. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Okay. That was me talking with Damon. So, uh, yeah, what did you make of that? You know, he's a, he's a very astute speaker. I feel like it seems that the show is kind of very much one step ahead of viewers and like just kind of hearing Damon speak, you can kind of very much see why the sort of Krypton comparisons is something that I've been thinking about quite a lot. So it's just really kind of, it's validating to hear it come from, uh, you know. From the, the showrunner himself. I was going to say the horse's mouth, but I shouldn't talk the about our friend mouth. Damon like this. <laughs> um, I agree. I mean, that, like him talking about wanting to reframe hooded justices like superman for today um dealing with today's issues as well and then also you know how he came up with the idea authentically he was talking about his 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 him and his dad reading the watchman comic books and how he was obsessed with hooded justice killing the comedian and he thought mm. that was going to be the big reveal all along and it's so funny that you know he kind of he's now creating all these questions himself with these Watchmen characters as well. I just love that that full circleness as well. I mean, there was even the quote on the back of like a Watchmen graphic novel from like 2009, which I believe you have. Yes, yeah, the um, kind of old edition, which is very telling in how it's something, a project that he seems to have been angling towards seemingly his whole life, considering him talking about reading it with his dad and it being like a very informative, like a very formative influence on his TV works before, like on Lost and on The Leftovers. And it's interesting to see, just kind of look back and sort of see his name on something like this in that capacity. And like him, his talking about his earlier perceptions of hooded justice, I think is fascinating as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so why are you here? I know that's a very blunt question, but <laughs> why are you here talking about Watchmen? I know Jacob's not here, but... Jacob is not here, but I'm here because I am going to be talking about episode seven with a Jacob who will suddenly materialise out of thin air. He will materialise out of thin air, and I can't wait to get into episode seven properly with you, because you are a massive Watchmen comic fan, right? I am. Maybe not on the extent that I pursue making a TV show about it, <laughs> over the course of 10 years, but yeah, I have dabbled. I feel like, do we need to say Jacob's name a third time and then he appears or? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to chance it. So <laughs> let's, let's wrap there. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to you coming onto the podcast and I think it's going to be a real blast to, to finally get into the big episode seven. So thank you everyone for listening to Watching Watchmen and yeah, follow us at Watchmen Boys. You can follow me at Jack J. Shepherd on Twitter and where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Campbell Campbell on Twitter. Amazing. See you next week for episode seven.